Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite. Uh, we have a win recap we're going to go through. We're going to talk about basically everything we saw and heard and read uh, regarding the Rutgers 24-7 victory over Northwestern in the opener. Uh, 1-0 in the Big Ten, always a great way to start off conference play. A um, little, uh, little weird to have it the first game of the season, but uh, we'll take it. Uh, we're also going to kind of break down what Greg Shiano uh, said at his presser today, do a little light preview on the Temple game for next week, uh, this Saturday. Um, just to kind of give you guys a heads up, we will have the same beat reporter that we had on last year to discuss Temple on this year on Thursday. So look out uh, in your podcast feeds for that. Also kind of discuss a little light, small Dylan Harper update. I guess small in, in some respects, but Shirley Donovan dropped another bomb. Uh, and we'll kind of talk about what we think of that. Um, let's just start off the top, though. Rutgers, in dominating fashion, beat Northwestern on set, on Sunday, 24-7. to 7. You could say that the score doesn't really indicate how big of a beatdown it was. Rutgers, at no point, was not in control of that game. From basically the, the opening kickoff, you know, where Rutgers went 16 plays, uh, 75 yards for a touchdown, ate up like eight minutes a clock. This one seemed like it was kind of in the bag. Let's kind of talk high-level stuff. Just give me one one thought right off the top of your head about what you were really impressed with from this team on Sunday. Competent offense, complimentary offense. Is that, is that what he called it last time? Complimentary mm-hmm. football. Yeah, and that's. Yep. I'll, I'll go with that. Complimentary football. They uh they played smart. There was no real bad decisions from Gavin. Did he kind of miss a couple wide open guys? Yeah, but not more so missing. It was just like, I guess he just didn't see it completely at all. Like Isaiah Washington was open on that one touchdown. If you hit Dremel a little sooner on that one play, it probably would have been at least a big chunk play instead of, or maybe not a touchdown. But um, I thought there was a couple plays. Again, even um, guys were just covered in the end zone instead of like trying to thread something that really isn't there. It seemed like Gavin was just smart with the football. He didn't really push anything that he couldn't get to. Um, I thought overall Gavin had a great game, but. Um, just if you want my one thought, it'd probably be complimentary football. It was it was pretty good. For me, I'll give myself the same prompt. I thought this team looked so much more well-coached and prepared than they were at any point last year. I kept just thinking, like, everything looked a lot cleaner, both in execution and play calling. Like, there wasn't any plays that got blown up by a missed assignment or a missed block. There wasn't really any, you know, free blitzers that were getting into the backfield like on Gavin. There was no chaos at the line where everyone's looking over for a play call or a change or an audible or anything like that. Um, there was no delay of game penalties. Gavin was getting through the, the huddle. He was getting the line, making the play call. Everyone was on the same page. There was no legal motion, no legal formation. Like, I just thought everything looked like this team has actually you know, really gotten a lot of this offense down and feels comfortable with it. Um, there's also some great in-game adjustments from Soraka. Like if you, 
if you look early on in the game, like there was some kind of really poor throws from Gavin in the first quarter. And they kind of just like shifted the play calling to really just kind of focus on the stuff he was clearly most comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's kind of dive right into from this conversation into the offense in general. Like the big question all off season was Gavin Wimsett. He was named the quarterback early on. Is he the guy to lead this team? I thought, quite frankly, Gavin had by far his best games of Scarlet Knight on Saturday. If you look at the stat line, he went 17 for 29. So that's 58% completion percentage for 163 yards and one touchdown, no interceptions. He ran nine times for 33 yards and a touchdown. What were your kind of just off the top of your head thoughts about how Gavin played on Saturday? Uh, like, like I said before, he played really smart, and I think that's the biggest thing you can ask out of him, um, especially because he's in the past he hasn't played too smart. Um, he's even made questionable throws in training camp that made, made me question him as QB1, but I thought he played really smart. He didn't do anything too crazy. I thought he could have probably tucked the ball and ran a little more, but I, I get it. Design play calls. You got to do what, you gotta, what your coach is telling you to do. Um, but, yeah, no, it, I just think he – and then the one, the one really nice pass was probably – I think maybe the best pass of his career so far. He was on the run through across his body and hit Dremel on that um, right across the middle of the field and or left side yeah. of the field. And it was beautiful dart, but uh, yeah, those first two drives, that's kind of what I expected Rutgers football to be. It's going to be a run heavy team. Kirk Sharaka knows that better than anyone considering he ran Muhammad Ibrahim nearly into the ground last year. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, I, I think uh, considering they didn't have their starting running backs, he had an offensive line that um, I guess you technically replaced the center like last second and went with Zelinskis. Um, I thought, and your wide receiver cores, eh? But I thought overall everything you didn't really give Gavin many weapons, but he managed to do some stuff without um, significant weapons. So I thought he had a, a really good game overall. Yeah, it was a bit of a in the. I'll give Gavin Gavin a ton of credit because I was I kind of went through and made notes on like all the good and bad plays I thought he made on <clears throat> Sunday. Mm-hmm. And basically all the bad plays were early in the game. So like first quarter, like the first or second or third drive were a lot of his like head scratchers. But as mm-hmm. the game got on, clearly he got more comfortable, more confident and made fewer mistakes. And in the first two drives, he threw the ball 16 times. So that was about, you know, the first 18 minutes of the game. The rest of the game, he only threw 13 times. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, when you throw the ball less, you're going to have less opportunities for mistakes or, or to look good. So that's a caveat I'll throw out there. But you mentioned that fourth and five throw to Dremel on the run. Obviously, I, I thought that as well that was the play of the game for him because yeah. that also could have swung momentum. Had, had we not picked it up there, Northwestern's getting the ball at around midfield in a 0-0 game. And who knows how a game can kind of unfold after that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the play before that, it was a third and five. There, it looked like there was some miscommunication on either what route the receiver was running or Gavin thought the receiver was throwing a different route. Anyway, he threw it basically right to the face mask of a defender who thankfully dropped the ball. Yeah. Um, there was a few wide open receivers uh, that he just didn't see or miss. There was a few wide open running lanes on RPOs that he could have taken. Mm-hmm. There's one play in particular where uh, it was first and 10 uh, in the with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the first first quarter. Northwestern rushed five. Gavin did a really good job stepping up in the pocket avoiding the rush he had a wide open lane like he probably had nothing but green for like 15 yards on the left side of the field he yeah. instead threw it into double or triple coverage he, he was wide open it was it was a throw to isaiah washington who he threw too late and almost mm-hmm. got picked off as well so there was a lot of good a lot of bad i thought overall 
more good than bad. I thought this was about as good of a performance as you could have expected for a 19 year old quarterback making, you know, maybe his 10th start as a, as a starter at Rutgers Mm -hmm. in a new system, in a conference game. It was hot out there. All these guys are learning a new system. There's a lot of new, uh, like you said, a lot of new pass catchers. So overall, I thought this was a very promising first start, but I think we need to kind of contextualize things. We talked about it last week. Northwestern has two scholarship defensive tackles. Yeah. They've gone four and 20 in the last two seasons. Last year, they went one and 11. They lost their, you know, the best program, best coach in program history this summer due to scandal. Mm-hmm. And they replaced him with a guy who's never coached at the FBS level, let alone. Yeah been a head coach at the FBS level. So this is a team that is probably going to be the second or third worst team we play all year. So I just want everyone to understand where we are as a team. We're clearly better than last year, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. We dominated a team that we should have dominated and we got an easy win. So we took care of business, but we just need to understand the team that we played against is going to be one of the worst teams we play all year. So we still there's still a lot to clean up. Be, it's it's a it's a whole lot better to clean up mistakes uh, after a win than after a loss for sure. Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, there's there's a lot of still question marks about this team, like you said. Um, I do think it was a good win, a solid win, um, Big Ten win nonetheless. But there's there's mm-hmm. still a lot of issues that need to be figured out. Running back, mind you, they looked decent, yeah. and I know even uh, Shiano said it in post game like. Uh, Benjamin was looking pretty good, and he yep. could have broke open a couple big, a couple of those big runs. And I thought his vision was phenomenal for a true freshman. But end of the day, the running back room averaged less than if you count the the one if you count Gavin's rushing too. It count it's like under three yards a carry. It's not good. Yeah. Um, the offensive line's still a work in progress. They were rotating guys in and out, and I was told that's basically because of uh, guys were just cramping up and they just needed time. Um, it was, it was a hot day. It's, there's no secret about that between, and when you're a massive human being like Holland Pierce, Curtis Dunlap, two of the guys that were specifically were rotated in and out. Um, it makes sense, but they still need to get better at blocking. There was one play where I think it was Zelinskis and I forget who the right guard was in at the time. I want to say it was Trefani where they're literally like blocking the same guy. And one guy gets right th- or Bryce Gallagher would get right through the middle and would just completely whiff on the tackle. And it's like, all right, well, maybe you're lucky he's missing a lot, but you're not going to get that lucky when it comes to real Big Ten play. So yep. I do think the offensive line as a whole definitely needs some work still. Um, the right side especially. I know Needham played everything but one snap. Same for Zawinskis. But I think that right side between Needham and Trefani or Needham and Felter or whoever the hell it is, they still need to, to figure some things out there. Yeah, and, and also... Gavin wasn't really pressured all game, so he was able to get to his first, second read consistently, and I think that's why he looked better because um, mm-hmm. he was doing a good job, you know, going through his progressions. Um, I, I I agree that while the running game, if you look at the raw numbers, you know, as a team we went forty four for uh, forty four rushes for one hundred and twenty two yards. Mm-hmm. I thought they looked better than that, honestly, because a lot of those runs, like we converted a lot of third and shorts, a lot of fourth and shorts. So there's a stat in at least they they keep track of it in terms of NFL. It's called success rate. And that just means like if it's a third and one and you get two yards, that's considered a successful run. Whereas if it's first and 10 and you get two yards, that's not considered a successful run. So I'd imagine there's a lot more successful runs than not successful runs in this game, just due to situational football. 
Um, but in terms of just like converting, Rutgers was really did just a phenomenal job converting on third and fourth down yesterday. They they converted eighteen of they converted eight of eighteen third downs on the day. That's forty four point four percent. Last year on the season, they only converted twenty five point eight percent of their third downs. They converted three of three on fourth down last year. They were seven for 19 on the year in terms of converting on fourth down, which is about 35%. So it's great to see that, you know, you have all these metrics that are clearly improving. And I think a lot of that has to do with just Kirk calling a great game. Like he knew which plays to call at the right moments and the right opportunities. And our guys executed too. You got to give them credit for actually going out there and running those plays successfully. Um, who was a guy that stood out the most for you on offense? On offense, I, I think mm-hmm. it's hard not to say Benjamin, but uh, just because like he was getting like a guaranteed three, four yards. It seemed like I know, mm-hmm. like I said before, the yards per carry doesn't really show that because there was a couple like where he, there's a couple where he got hit in the backfield too, mm-hmm. mind you, and there's a couple where he should have been hit in the backfield, but he did that one quick cut and he's gets like a three yard gain. And I'm like, holy shit, this kid's a freshman! Like, very, yeah. very yep. impressive and. I do have to say, um, every time I talk to someone, they, they reference Ed Gear, Ed Gear, Gear, I don't know how to yeah, pronounce yeah, it. Yep. Yeah, the, the 2024 commit, and they're saying it's he's the same exact type back. He's small, he's shifty, he's quick as hell, um, great vision. So he might have another one in the stable as well. But I think I have to go with Deshaun Benjamin. Um, I wanted to say Ian Strong because of the one phenomenal catch, but they really only targeted him like one other time or two other times, and that was kind of it for the game, which I thought was a little odd considering he – Proved that he had pretty good hands, great route running. Um, I know he's a true freshman; he has to earn his time. But I, I thought he was better than the rest of the receiving core. Like, yep. I don't think there was really a question there. So I, I, I'll go with Benjamin now, hundred percent. Yeah, I would say other than Gavin, who I, you know, already said I think he had his best game as a Scarlet Knight. I think the mm-hmm. guy who stood up for me was Ian Strong. Like, I think he only had two catches, but one was the top play on Sunday on ESPN. <laughs> And it was well-deserved. That was a fantastic, you know, high-pointing in the corner of the end zone, having the awareness of where he is on the field to get one foot down. And then he had that – it's easy to forget his second catch was on a tip pass. Gavin, you know, was going mm-hmm. for the, the release oh, valve yeah. to the running back. Yeah. He throws it high. I think Benjamin had to jump and mm-hmm. couldn't catch it. It tipped off his hands. And Ian Strong was about 10 yards down the field and just immediately sees it, dives towards the ball and catches mm-hmm. it. Gets right, gets two hands under the ball. They they didn't even have to review it because it was clear from replay that it was a clean catch. But just those were the two catches he made to start the year. I I don't think he could have made a stronger first impression uh, to to power five football than Ian Strong made. Really excited to see how he does uh, yeah. moving forward. Um, I, I think you can argue he should be starting next week. Personally, I think you should but, be. Yeah. Um, I know they targeted Isaiah Washington the most. I think he had eight or seven targets on the day, but mm-hmm. I, I can't see a reason why Ian Strong's not. I, I know Washington, veteran, first rookie, freshman, whatever you want to call him. Um, but I, I think Ian Strong definitely earned the right to at least be a starter out there. I think he proved he has hands. Like I said before, he's been a good route runner. I've seen him all training camp. He's looked pretty damn good. He's, Greg's hyped him up in training camp. There's there's reasons for this. He's He's that legit. And um, I know I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you see his ranking previously from his recruits, not my fault. I pushed for an update and we just didn't get it. So he is a two star still technically on our site, but besides the point, he's outplaying his ranking already. So, yep. Yeah. And, uh, 
one final thing on the offense. I, I put this set on Twitter, so some of you guys might have seen it already. So last season, Rutgers only had two drives on the entire season of 15-plus plays. They had one against Iowa, which ended up in a turnover on downs, and they had another against Indiana. Hmm. The first two offensive drives of the 2023 season, so the first two offensive drives against Northwestern, 16 plays, 16 plays. Promising start. That just shows that they're able to make things happen on offense. They've been able to continue drives. They're able to convert on third down, convert on fourth down. Hmm. You really love to see that because as we've been telling you guys, as we've seen, there's not many explosive playmakers, especially with a guy like Sam Brown, who's not on the field right now, especially with a guy like Nassim Brantley, who we've talked about, who was expected to be a big contributor this year, not able to play right now. Um, You need to be able to kind of scrape together first downs and scrape together drives, and that's what they did the first quarter. Um, That's what we're going to have to continue to do throughout the season, and I think a big part of that is Kirk Soraka really just kind of knowing how to call plays in the moment, you know, what, because it's, it's a, a big part of this is just kind of like feel it's like, okay, the last time we called this, uh, it didn't really look even close to, to competent. So I'm not going to call that again, the rest of the game. I think there's too many coaches who just kind of like, you know, have made a predetermined decision that this is the kind of game I want to call and I'm going to call it. And if it doesn't work out, then, yeah. you know, whatever. Okay, but it seems Sean like Gleason. Kirk's, yeah, Kirk's way more of kind of an artist about this kind of stuff where you kind of, you know, can feel how a game is going, can see what's go- working in the moment. Because there might be plays that, you know, Gavin feels comfortable with, but against a certain defense or against certain teams' personnel, it's just not going to work because they either have a, a duo of really fast linebackers or they have really good safeties or whatever the reason. So you kind of have to leave that play off the play sheet uh, that game. There wasn't really much he had to leave off the play sheet on Sunday, but my point is, he just called a great game, and uh, I'm excited to see what he does against better opponents as the season goes on because I do think he gives us an edge um, in terms of play calling. Yeah, definitely helps when you're in the box, too, instead of on the field. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's That was a big difference maker, and uh, he's got a trustworthy guy on the sideline, it sounds like, too, and Dave Brock. Uh, I know someone mentioned it today at practice. Um, just being able to – I think actually Brian asked, uh, asked Shiano about it, but being able to relay uh, – Relay to a guy you trust on the sideline is huge, especially when you have a yep. former OC and a veteran coach in Brock on the sideline and Strock in the booth. So it's the best vision, best seat in the house. Um, Shiano even said it himself when he first got back on the banks for tenure 2.0. And I don't know why Gleason didn't do it, but he preferred to be on the sideline and talk to quarterbacks. Maybe there's no trust between him and the quarterbacks, but I mean, he got a pretty nice view uh, this weekend though of the of the offense that he was coaching, oh, yeah. and it totally different. So. I don't want to say it was his fault, but let's be honest, it was clearly his fault. <laughs> yeah, and we had two penalties in total on the day. Yeah. I don't believe they came until late in the game. So for the first like three and a half quarters, we didn't have any penalties. We didn't have any offensive turnovers. Obviously, mm-hmm. Rochelle f- uh, fumbled the punt at the end of the game, which led to Northwestern getting a short field and kind yeah. of blowing this shutout. I, I'm, you know, the team should basically treat this like they got a shutout, even though they didn't. Um, yeah. Because that's how dominant they were when you set a team up, uh, you know, <clears throat> on the what twenty-five yard line with three minutes left to go, you're probably going to score. Yeah. Um, but just overall, really well played game. Um, just a ton of positives to take away, and the negatives that you take away, you hope to get fixed for you know Virginia Tech because Temple's not really a great team either. Yeah. Um, let's jump to the defensive side of the ball. Um, 
Rutgers on the day, five sacks, eight tackles for loss, two interceptions, both coming uh, from Max Melton and for Robert Longerbeams. Both were super athletic plays. Yeah. What did you think of the defense overall, uh, what you saw? What's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind with how the defense played? I mean, the rushing, the rushing defense, they allowed what? what it, technically, it was 12 yards throughout the entire game. It was one yard through three quarters. Like wow. One whole yard. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, I didn't believe it at first, and I, I went back to look, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is one yard right now. Like This is, this is a Chris Ash-level performance we're looking at right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, just absolutely dominant. I know Aaron Lewis didn't register any sacks, but he was back there all day in the backfield. Um, Wesley Bailey looked good up until his injury. Um trying to think Tyreen Powell as a pass rusher looks phenomenal. He smacked. Oh, yeah. I know he got the one sack, but he also smacked Ben Bryant right before that too. Um, ben Bryant just had a rough day overall. That man yeah. was just getting beat to hell. Um, the D line as a, as a whole, just a bunch of studs. And then like Wesley Bailey goes down, Kenny Fletcher comes in, he gets a sack and a half and it's like, Oh my yep. God, a sack and a tackle tackle for loss and a half. Um, but there's just so many weapons there, and Isaiah Aiton looked good. Mayan Ahanatu looked good. Renee Conga filled in at one point and looked pretty good. Um, we saw Jordan Thompson out there. We saw everyone under the sun. This deep defensive line room is just deeper than deep. And um, a lot of them did say after the game that it was for for their D line coach and Marquis Watson, yep. who wasn't able to uh, be at the game due to a medical emergency. But the good news there is that it sounds like it, he's progressing. All's looking well, and he should be able to rejoin the team soon. So. But I think that D-line group is – he's got a special group over there. Yeah, just the number of guys who were getting pressure regularly on the quarterback was definitely promising. Um, we had five different guys with sacks this game, which is mm-hmm. always great to see. I thought even guys on you know the second and third unit for the defensive line looked great. Like Rene Conga, he was in the backfield all afternoon. Yeah. He, just he had one sack against the, and he's just a huge guy too. Yeah, I think massive. his sack came when he was rushing with Isaiah Iton, and those guys look yes. pretty comparable in size next to each other. Um, Isaiah Iton obviously is a guy we've been talking about all offseason as just like a physical specimen. He's the mm-hmm. transfer who came in from my uh, from Ole Miss. Um, I think he was also warming up without a shirt on, and he also came <laughs> off the bus first. Uh, so the strategy of, of having him be the guy who comes off the bus first is uh, is happening um, in terms of you know the defensive line. I just I thought this is a pretty just clean game defensively. You already talked about the rush defense. The pass defense was great too. Just an overall, I think if you're grading out how the defense played on Saturday or on Sunday, it's hard giving them anything less than an A. I thought they played a great game. Joe Harrisimiak dialed up some really effective blitzes. Like Shaquan Loyal came in on a sack, I believe, on a third down. Yep. Uh, Tyreen Powell, like for, he basically was totally untouched from his linebacker position <laughs> when he, he got his sack. Yeah. Just he continues to just get even better as a as a coordinator, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the one thing that really surprised me was the lack of rotation at linebacker. We saw that last year. I asked Shiano about that. Yeah. So what yeah. did what did Shiano have to say about that? So basically, I, I said to him, I was like, hey, like you didn't really rotate linebackers. You didn't rotate DBs. Um, he did say basically it's just because they were on the field. The, the offense was on the field for the entire game. They had, what, almost 40 minutes of uh, time of possession? What was it, 30-something maybe? I forget the exact numbers. But, uh, yeah, the, the team as a whole was just on – the offense was on the field for 75 – 37 minutes to be exact. 37-56, so we'll go 38. That's, that's almost the entire game. <laughs> like – 
So Ishana was said he was a little um, can't be upset, but he was just upset he wasn't able to get more guys reps because because those guys need reps behind them, behind the starters. These these guys are a little green and they they need some reps, but the uh, the starters as a whole just they were too good to take out mostly too, but not a ton of snaps on defense. So it makes sense to let them just let them rock, let them play the whole game. Yeah, and I was really surprised that a guy like Moses Walker didn't get in the game at some point because I know he yeah. was. Obviously, a super highly rated recruit. I think he was the number one recruit in the state of New York at the time. Mm-hmm. I think he was the highest rated recruit of the class of 22, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, 22, yep. Um, obviously, he tore his ACL and he was recovering from that. But yeah, I think the if you look at the snap counts, I, I believe that Tyreem and Deion Jennings played basically every snap on and defense. A, and the third linebacker. Oh, Mo Ture. He looked yeah. great coming back, too. He, he played all over the field, though. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a sack late in the game. It's just so great to get a guy like Motore back because that's just like adding another, you know, Maserati on in your uh, your your garage in terms of defensive linemen. Yeah, um, that's really promising insane. to see him back at full health. Yeah, he, it's in the way they used him too. Like he played, a, he played yeah. a ton of linebacker. Don't get me wrong, but then he moves to defensive end. That was a couple times. Then like on third down packages, he's playing on the interior, and I'm like, you have a pass rush yep. package of Toure, um, Aiton, Wesley Bailey, and Aaron Lewis, like. One of them is getting past the the lineman. Like you're gonna get mm-hmm. at least a pressure at the very minimum. But I thought that was absolutely insane, and they just they love they love to use him, and it worked out pretty well. So speaking of guys who didn't really play all off season, we had kind of penciled in Ireland Brown as the starting quarterback Shocking. or starting center. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, he didn't play really at all. I think he played one snap according yep. to PFF. Gus Zelinskis came in and started. Obviously, he played a lot during his true freshman season. He didn't play nearly as much last year. Just kind of that. How on a scale of one to ten, how shocking was that for you as somebody who covers the team, as somebody who goes to practice? Um, considering I thought he was a solidified starter and one of only three solidified starters on that line, I was absolutely shocked. Like uh, I was talking to the other guys in the press box, and I was like, "Is that Zelinskis warming up with the first team?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's it's weird." And then Brian tweeted mm-hmm. out his thing, and then like a couple minutes later, it's like, oh, Zwinski's in with the first team. What the fuck's going on? Huh? Maybe it's just yep. maybe Ireland Brown's hurt, and I'm like, no, he's right there on the sideline. Maybe whatever. Maybe he's hurt. Gets to the late game. It was that one snap with the uh, the the, the, the quarterback Neil, and I'm like, Ireland okay. Brown's in there. I'm like, what the what the f- why yeah, even like weird. why like what are we doing here? Yep. But yeah, no, absolutely shocking. Um, I didn't see it coming. I got to talk to Gus today actually. Um following practice and when i was talking to him i was like so what what was it like to be like named starter he goes i didn't really find out until like right before the game and uh it's like and i was like okay so you're you're one he's two blah blah blah. and he's like no 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 like we don't know who's the starter we don't we don't care who the starter mm-hmm. is and i'm like what the fuck That's happened weird. here like what's the, what, yeah, what is going yeah. on like he didn't really dive too much more into it but he did notice he did just say that neither of them's the starter and i was like all right well that's what the f- like what are we doing like in this we're just gonna go with the the guy i don't get me wrong Zelinskis is good i thought he was solid he had his moments where it was not so solid but i thought he was overall solid on the day um but the offensive line as a whole was rotating and i know i said before mostly it's because of cramping but for the other guys but it seems like right guard's still a position that they don't really know what to do because i think felter ended up getting 40 plus snaps at guard um Right tackle, Needham played the whole game, so I think that's pretty solidified. Left tackle, Taj White looks pretty good as a backup. Um, 
but yeah, going back to Zelensky's, that was trying to the most like surprising thing of the day, I would say. So if that's the most surprising thing of the day, that's got to put it at at least a nine on the surprise scale of one to ten. Yeah. Where would you put Sam Brown not playing in terms of the surprise scale? Give me a a one to ten. The surprise that he didn't play. A one. Yeah, like I, I didn't think he was going to play. The man hasn't practiced at all, basically. Um, I know he's questionable. I knew him. I saw him doing some cuts on on pregame at the at the corner end zone or right before the end zone. Um. And he, he probably could have they, – they still say he probably could have went if he had to. But, again, he hasn't practiced really that much. I don't even think I'll, we'll probably see him this weekend. I don't really know um, because practice access is completely different during the season. It's like kind of straight-up cut off. So this is just my personal guess. I don't think we'll see him play, but to be determined. He's, he was questionable. He wasn't listed as out, which tells you that they, they thought there might have been a shot. But I do think um, – you're going to have to get some some of that rust knocked off of him because it's been a while since he's played football. Um, the same thing with Mo Touré. Like, I think that was a great game. I thought that was phenomenal. But he hasn't played, you got to think, since 2021. It's, it's yeah. been a long, long time. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put that as like a one, maybe two, if you really want to go a little bit higher, I guess. Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I do think that they've kind of been uh, pretty mum about Sam Brown all camp. Um, we haven't heard him really talked up. I know that at some point it was either Shiano or Sam Brown himself said he was hundred percent healthy. And I don't know Sam. if that was just, yeah, I think that was just kind of them trying to keep a lid on things. Um, do you expect him back anytime soon? Is this a new injury? Is him, is he still just recovering? It's still is this recovering. Totally like a week to week thing. I, I think it's probably week to week if I had to, put uh, my my doctor cap on and get my stethoscope out but um it's, it's, pro- it's probably week to week for now um i don't know if like i said i don't know if he'll go this week especially i don't think you need him this week no you, you probably don't you hopefully I, would not at least yeah ideally though you probably want to knock some rust off before virginia tech who i think is a pretty good opponent um yep. so i would say probably I'm, I'm gonna say no 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 go this week but might be back uh, for virginia tech um, it's, it's really week to week. It's, it's a weird injury and it's every injury is different. Like everyone recovers at a different rate. Yep. Um, so we'll, we'll just kind of wait and see what happens there. Yeah. And obviously this upcoming week we play a temple owls team who was down. Strange. Yeah. was mm-hmm. down pretty bad to Akron and ended up making a comeback. So you got to credit them for that, but I believe they were down 21 to seven, uh, in the second half ended up winning the game 24 to 21, one on the road. So, it's not like Akron's, you know, the swamp or anything, but winning a game on the road when you're down two touchdowns in the second half, it's an accomplishment. I would say it's the, you know, the hardest thing in the world to do if you're, if you're Temple, because uh, mm-hmm. you kind of put yourself in that hole to begin with. But this is also a team that, from what I understand, may have been looking ahead to the Rutgers game. From what you've heard, they've been yes. talking a lot of shit. Yeah. This is a game they've had <laughs> circled on their calendar. This is a game yeah. they really thought they would win last year. I don't think they like getting their shit pushed in mm-hmm. in 2021 when we beat them 61 to 14. Yeah, I don't expect that kind of beatdown really ever because that's just kind of a rogue wave thing. They threw mm-hmm. so many. They, you know, by the second half they had like random guys from who hadn't played college football before stepping up and you know just throwing softballs to our DBs. <laughs> I think we had like three spe- defensive or special teams touchdowns that game. Yeah. Um, Rutgers opened up as a 10-point favorite. It's now been bet down to 9.5, so there has been some money coming in on Temple, which is never something you want to see early in the week. 
but uh, I still feel pretty damn confident, confident about this game, especially it's a night game at Rutgers. It's the blackout game. I think it was a great crowd on Sunday. I wasn't there, but on TV, it looked great. You said it was pretty loud and pretty full. Phenomenal. I expect this game to be pretty close to a sellout, um, especially because all the students will be actually on campus now. The student yep. section will be full. It's much more convenient to get to the stadium and get inside the stadium for a night game than you know a 12 o'clock game on a Sunday mm-hmm. of a holiday weekend. So I'm expecting a huge crowd for this Temple game. Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, interesting. I do think they'll they'll cover the spread. Um, like you said, it's down to nine and a half now. Um, the crowd was phenomenal, and even the students showed up like in droves. Like those corner mm-hmm. spots of the student section that usually like it's it's a little barren. Um, absolutely filled. Like I I actually tweeted a picture like three minutes to kick off, and I was like five minutes, six minutes into the game. I'm like, damn, I got to tweet another picture. Cause that, that picture is not doing this one justice. Like that first one was like, it was pretty barren. It was, the whole thing was kind of empty and it was a late arriving crowd. But like once they filled in, it was like, Holy shit, this is a packed crowd for a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do think temple or I shouldn't say, I think I know temple has been, their staff has been saying some, some things this off season that they're, they're pretty confident this year going into the Rutgers matchup. So it does sound like they might've been looking ahead. And this isn't a knock against them, but Joe Moorhead does is the head coach of Akron. I know, mind you, it's it's Akron, but he's still a hell of an offensive mind and was one of the better OCs in college football just like what three, four years ago before he got the Mississippi State job, maybe a little longer. <laughs> yep. But uh, he was one known as one of the best offensive minds in football. So there's not a, you can't really knock the loss, the, knock the win too bad. But the hell, hell of a comeback for them, and I think yep. that Warner kid, you know, he looked like shit in the beginning. But I think in the second half, he looked like lights out. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, maybe he is pretty good. So um, he gave Rutgers fits last year. Um, I know Shiano talked about it in his presser today. Uh, he, he mentioned multiple defensive players on that Temple defense by name, mentioned their defensive coordinator as well. Um, their defense is pretty good. Um, their offense, it's it's a work in progress. So I don't think it's a pushover game, but I do think Rutgers will, will win this one pretty nicely. Yeah, totally agree. Um and like we said, we'll have Kyle Gauss or Goss. You have his name. Recall. Goss. Yeah, Kyle Goss sure. from, uh, is he from the Temple Rival site? Yes, uh, owlscoop.com. Yep, from owlscoop.com. We'll be coming on the show on Thursday to talk everything about the matchup, give us some predictions, you know, players to watch. Uh, so definitely tune in on Thursday. You'll have all the information you need for the Saturday night matchup against Temple. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else from the Shiano presser that you wanted to hit on before we turn our attention to this Dylan Harper news? That <sighs> I forgot about that. This um, Dylan Harper article, I should say. I don't. Let's see. I got the, uh, the transcript in front of me. I'm trying to just look look it over real quick. Um, I said the Watson update. Um, oh, the the transfer, the Nassim Brantley stuff. Yeah. Um, what did he have to say on that? Well, you guys saw him on Saturday or Sunday, I should say. He was pretty vivid. Um, said he was boiling over to the point where you can, or no, he was. He's hot. No, I forget what he said. He said something like, yeah, I think he said he was. Something. He was so hot about it that you could like fry an egg on his head. Yeah, I believe the quote. And you'll see it in the video today. He like, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a violation, but it's an eligibility question, um, or it's not a violation. It's an eligibility question. I'm not going to get in details. It's still under advisement, but you could see Saturday how disappointed I was. This is a kid who came here after a tragic compound fracture of his leg playing at another school. I'm at a loss. I'm really at a loss. I'll keep working. The kid deserves to play. There's no funny business going on here. And then kind of just did like a locking key. Like I'm, I'm done saying stuff because you can get 
pretty serious trouble with NCAA with this. I mean, hell, Jim Harbaugh bought a fucking hamburger for a kid and got suspended. Yep. Um, but yeah, so it's an eligibility issue, which makes sense because so you still need a waiver no matter what, even if you're a grad transfer. He um, transferred twice, though. So it's Sacred Heart and then went to Western Illinois, and now he's at Rutgers. So I believe that's the exact issue. And it has something to do with Western Illinois kind of dicking him around a little bit, it seems like. Um, I don't know if what happened between – I don't even know who the hell's the coaching staff at Western Illinois. Is that even a full-time job? Like, is that like a part-time job? Is that like a high school coach? High school coaches might make more. Uh, yeah, but it seems like – I don't – it seems like they're kind of pissed and he didn't really approve the transfer. Now, whether it be Western Illinois, whether it be the NCAA just being like, no, no, two-time transfers, we're done. Let's put our foot down and – that's how we're going to stop them. Like, no, it's not going to work. Number one. Um, but it seems like, uh, it's, they're kind of screwing the kid over because he probably would have been out there this weekend, at least as wide, maybe a starter, maybe not a starter, probably a starter if I had to guess. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely an issue and, um, we'll see if the NCAA does something about it or not. Well, I would not hold our breath because we've yeah. seen uh, how the NCAA has treated uh, not only us, but these kind of issues in the past. And they're trying to crack down on it harder. So who knows? Um, just stay tuned, I guess, because he's got one more year of eligibility. And if for whatever reason there's an eligibility issue this year, he could come back next year. I guess that yeah. year of eligibility. Um, it's just unfortunate that the NCAA is inconsistent with these kind of rulings and they've found a way to screw Rutgers a couple times. Um, yeah. He, was, uh, he wasn't happy about that one, which I mean, rightfully so. Yeah, I would be too, but it is what it is. Let's talk uh, the Dylan Harper news. So dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Julie Donovan has been reporting a lot on this, uh, this situation the last week, I'd say. Yeah. Um, we had also reported that, Kansas was making a push for Dylan Harper. He's got a lot of people in his ear. It sounds like between his, you know, on his family side, he's got an NIL agent and they're all kind of pulling in different directions. Uh, Chili Donovan came out with an article today saying that Dylan Harper is expected to take more official visits. And he specifically named Kansas, Auburn and Rutgers um, getting official visits. Obviously he was at Rutgers this past weekend for the, uh, the Northwestern game, Ron Harper Jr. got uh, honored at some point during the game, and Dylan was there. The crowd was great about, you know, they had a, a Harper University sign from the student section. There was a We Want Dylan chant. Dylan was schmoozing in the Provident Bank Club, meeting donors, meeting different people. Uh, so it sounded like he had a good time, but now he's planning on taking visits, apparently. Um, yeah. There's also the most... The most uh, concerning line from the article was multiple sources indicated a decision may not come until spring because Harper and his camp want to watch Rucker's new style of play. Now, this article doesn't fully pass the smell test for me because all offseason, it's been Dylan's going to decide early in this school year, he's going to sign before the, the early signing period or in the early signing period. You know, we had heard as of even last week that he had recorded a commitment video to Rutgers. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know what to expect or what to, to make of all this. What, what's your take on, on this, this article and these developments? Well, 
he, he said basically there's some fighting in the camp, which makes sense in the Harper camp. You know, Ron Senior, Ron Senior, yeah, Ron Senior wants to uh, was has been pushing Duke. He pushed Duke a while ago. There's no secret about that. Um, we know Maria Harper wants Rutgers, wants them to stay close to home, wants them to stay locally, play locally, play for Rutgers. Steve Peichel, blah blah blah. The connection with Harper, Harper Junior. Um, I'm assuming, if I had to guess, Ron is probably pushing Rutgers too. Then there's this NIL agent yep. who's also getting involved now, and he's starting to say, like, hey, like, let's just go visit Kansas, blah, blah, blah. Kansas, you know, they got some, you got some money. So we're going we're gonna to hit them up and see what we could do. And he's doing, which is in, in the best interest of his client, I guess, if you want to call it that, which is mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, what his job is. Um, so it makes sense there. Um, now, I don't know because he said he, he, said he was going to decide after Peach Jam. And he said he was going to decide, um, what was the other date before, before the basketball season. Now it's getting pushed back again. And it's just, it's getting kind of dragging it out now. Now you kind of got just like, I don't know if they're like pissed that people are kind of starting to know where he's leaning and stuff's getting out there. I, it's mm-hmm. the whole thing just seems wacky to me. It still sounds like he knows where he wants to go. It's, it still seems like Rutgers is the heavy favorite. Hell, there was rumors about him visiting Kansas this week. And where was he? He was on the sideline of Rutgers. He was in the Provident Bank yep. Club at Rutgers. He was here at Ru- yep. at Rutgers. It was really a Harper University sign at Rutgers. <laughs> like, yep. so I just don't think it's. I, I I don't know how legit it is. I I know he he always said he wanted to take those other visits, but I just don't. I can't see him doing it. Now, if he does take those visits, I think I think Trilly said what September fifteenth or sixteenth, whatever that September weekend. September sixteenth was a date that he highlighted for Auburn. Auburn. Right? If I had to guess, they're probably going to say October 5th or 6th or whatever that weekend is because that's for Kansas because that's the weekend Cooper flag's going. Um, so maybe it drags out until November. I hope not. Maybe it drags in the spring. I really, really hope not. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's like getting ridiculous. Um, it is kind of insane. Like I, I get you want to play up the hype and all that, but this is just getting like – everyone knows – that you're kind of a Rutgers lean. Like, what are we doing? That's just, let's call a spade a spade. You're, you're Scarlet Knight. <laughs> like, yeah. And it, and if your mom, who's been running your recruitment, wants you to go to Rutgers, you've been heavily leaning Rutgers. You went to Rutgers again this weekend for the third time since, uh, I don't even know, this year, I guess, in 2023. Um, just do it already. What are we waiting for? I think he's like one of the last kids to commit in his class, it seems like. I Cooper Flag, mind you, different situation, transferred in from 2025 or reclassed, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So, but everyone else, for the most part, is, is kind of locked in and committed and ready to sign in November. I would hope he's still going to sign in November. That was his original plan. If not, I, I really don't know. It's it's The dragging on is just what gets gets me a little bit. And it does sound like people are still, especially his NIL agent, are shopping him around. Um, one guy, Basketball Diaries, I don't know how popular they are or who they are. They posted that Rutgers offered 700K and they need to be more in the ballpark of over a mil. I don't know. The whole thing just seems like absolute madness and it's, it's just almost dragging on and it's almost getting like to be kind of not annoying, but it's like, come on, what, what are we doing? Yeah, I agree. And you know, all of this, it's, he's not actually coming out and saying anything directly. So That's this is all thing. like, this is all like whisper down the lane and you might talk to a source who, you know, it's heard from, you know, somebody who's not even in the family that they're going to do this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's tough to really tell. It's it's basically you try and hone in on the stuff that you've heard from people you trust and pe- things that you keep hearing. Um, it's a guessing game. It, it is a bit of a guessing game. But this whole like wait to the spring thing is totally new information. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think this could be, and I, I don't have any tinfoil near me, <laughs> this could be a smokescreen because I feel like his recruitment has kind of gotten away from him in terms of everybody now thinking he's going mm-hmm. to Rutgers and that he's a lock and that blah, blah, blah. I think this might be, this could possibly be a way of him kind of getting his agency back and his, in his, in his recruitment able yeah. to like kind of, you know, build suspense if he wants to not saying that's what's happening for sure, but I could see that being the case. Cause this is a kid who like, you know, he's clearly loving the, you know, the attention and the, the, all the fanfare that comes along with being the number one recruit. And yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's in a situation where he feels comfortable announcing right now, clearly. So no, who knows you're, when it's going to happen. Yeah. You're probably spot on with it. Like he just wants to, to be in charge of it. Like everyone's been talking about, it. he's a Rutgers league, he's a Rutgers league. He goes to Rutgers and it's like Rutgers, 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 Rutgers. And he's like, I should mm-hmm. call it. Everyone knows. Like I wanted to make this like a super surprise and make this big news. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it seems like it's, he's kind of lost grip, grip of it. Now it's like, all right, shit, let me, let me re- regroup, reconvene. Let me start throwing these rumors out there and those rumors out there. And like you said, it's not from him. So that's the biggest issue that I have. It's probably from like, his a coach, another coach, a trainer, and I agents probably pushing shit out there too to try to drive the bargain up. Um, it, the whole thing's just it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I just, I was hoping it would end by the 10th and not looking that way right now. <laughs> yeah, I would still, I would still pay attention to that date because that's the mm-hmm. date, obviously, that Ron leaves. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't make the commitment before Ron leaves for the NBA, I think we could be in for a long long yeah. haul here i could see this going past the the early signing day but this is why it's so tough to kind of we want to bring you guys the most recent and the most relevant news at all times mm-hmm. and kids change their mind situations change and this could be an instance of that but we've always tried to get you the information as soon as possible and we've never misled you guys so just because things don't work out as we were told they would does not necessarily mean the information was wrong or that the you know that is not what their party their camp was putting out at the time it's just things change and that's kind of recruiting and anybody who's followed this as long as we have like this is pretty constant the the one thing you can expect in recruiting is that crazy things will happen and do happen so all the time time. is there anything else uh, you wanted to touch on before we, we sign off here um not that i could think of um I'm just waiting on that. I know Brandon Stores has his uh, upcoming official visit or his official visit upcoming. Um, he doesn't have an offer yet, technically, but his dad played for Hain. He's number 46 recruit in the country. A lot of ties in the New York area. His uncle's the assistant coach at, or was the interim head coach at Manhattan, the assistant coach at NJIT, I believe it is. GCNJ? NJIT. NJIT. We're going to go with that one. The Highlanders. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think you got to keep an eye on him. I think he could potentially commit on this visit. I know he has another one to Georgia Tech, technically. It's just technically. I keep saying technically. Um, but I don't know if he'll make it to that one. I think if, if Rutgers really wants him and pushes for him, I think they could get him and it might be a hell of a start to the 2025 class with number 46 in the country. So, Yeah, just casually picking up the, the 46th ranked player in the country. No big deal. This is, you know, 
this is normal around here these days. Landing yeah. top 100 kids constantly. Um, yeah, was, huge, huge visit calendar for the basketball team this fall. Yeah, I thought it was funny because someone's like, "Yo, is he a take?" And I was like, "46 <laughs> in the country. Like, what are we talking yeah. about?" Like, yep. I know he doesn't have an offer yet, but like, he's 46 in the country. <laughs> yeah, I think he's 45 now. Oh, did he move this. up? And, yeah, he was a that. he was a big mover too. He he jumped 20 spots in the last update. There you go. Kids like this, the rivals is pretty measured with their, you know, how much they'll move a kid up or down typically. So mm-hmm. he might've just like blown everyone away and he was ranked 65, but let's, let's be measured. Let's see if the, the next time we see him, if he looks that good again, because anybody, not anybody, there's been plenty of times where a guy shoots, you know, eight for 12 from three in a game and just looks like he can't miss and just has dunked on two guys. And that's just one of the best games he played all, all season. And they just happened to, be in attendance for it. Hmm. Not saying that's the case. I'm just saying no, you typically want to get a few looks at a kid before you really loft them into the top top tier of, of recruits in a class. Um, yeah. I hate because some sites do it and they like update automatically. And, and that's the nice thing with ours is we give it like a solid like three month span. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, I got to see him like twice. I got to see him three times. And the other sites are like, yep. on once, you dropped 40. Oh my God. <laughs> Number one. And it's like, yep. no, what are we doing? <laughs> Yeah. So, whatever. <clears throat> yep. Um, so, all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Like we said, we have a, an episode coming Tuesday with Tuesday. Kyle Goss of uh, Owl, Owl Scoop. Scoop going over everything about the Temple Rutgers matchup. And who knows? Maybe there'll be another podcast if there's a Dylan right. announcement at please, this point. Please, I don't say it. Every knows? time we do this, there's going to be like. I I think we did this last Monday or Tuesday, and it's like, all right, that's it. We'll talk to the guy on Thursday, and it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm like, oh, great, Friday. Yep. If there's Uh, news, we will have a podcast for you. How about that? We'll just go with that line from here on out. (laughs) Uh, But for me and Richie and for Mr. Cheddar, uh, this has been another edition of the Nerd Report Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.